GG Poker is the biggest online poker site and they have more players than any other on the internet. Why play anywhere else? They have a wide range of games and unique features that you just can't find on any other site. GG Poker run huge tournaments with big prize pools and they hold the record for the biggest ever prize pool on an online poker tournament. There are games for all players at all skill levels, whether you're new to poker or a seasoned pro, including cash games and exciting tournaments like Bounty Hunters and Sunday Majors. GG Poker offer popular games like Texas Hold'em and Omaha to unique games like All In or Fold and Spin and Gold. New players that make their first deposit get £60 in free play, 18+, plus. new UK players only, minimum deposit is £10, full terms and conditions apply, begambleaware.org and please play responsibly. AG1 is a comprehensive and convenient blend of over 70 high quality ingredients and what that means is each morning when I wake up, before I do anything else, I drink AG1 to set me up for the day. It keeps me clear-headed, full of energy and focused on whatever I need to do, like writing a fighting cock for example. One scoop, once a day, before breakfast and that's it. I've actually found that I've not been needing coffee in the morning to get me started. I've still been drinking coffee because I love coffee but it's not because it's like a necessity to do so. AG1 is made out of the highest quality ingredients subject to the strictest manufacturing standards. AG1 is NSF certified for sport and this process involves exhaustive testing and verification that every serving of AG1 is exactly what you see on the label. If you want to take ownership of your health, try AG1 and get a free one year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs for your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com forward slash the fighting cock. That's drinkag1.com forward slash the fighting cock to get started. And to help the podcast. Thank you very much. Have a great day and enjoy the show. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. A 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial, LLC, member SIPC. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Geico asks, how would you love a chance to save some money on insurance? Of course you would. And when it comes to great rates on insurance, Geico can help. Like with insurance for your car, truck, motorcycle, boat, and RV. Even help with homeowners or renters coverage. Plus, add an easy-to-use mobile app, available 24-hour roadside assistance, and more, and GEICO is an easy choice. Switch today and see all the ways you could save. It's easy. Simply go to GEICO.com or contact your local agent today. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. It's the fight in. It's the fight in. Clock. It's the fight in. It's the fight in. Oh, come on, shut up!
Hello and welcome to episode 60 of the Fighting Cop podcast, uh, season 10. Uh, joined on the line by Trust Chair, Chair People? Chair People, is that right? I don't know, that makes it sound like something out of Ikea. Yeah. The, the, hey, the, should, should we start singing, what have you done today to make you feel Dick, what it is, yeah? The, uh, the Tottenham Hotspur Supporters Trust Dictators. That's uh, right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> We've got Cat and Martin, how are you doing, people? Good. Yeah, well, yeah, busy, but uh, yeah, <laughs> we're all right. So right. we we uh, we recorded a podcast around about this time last week, uh, just on the eve of the collapse of the um, the Super League, I think it was, and <clears throat> we looked. I mean, I, I wanted to put out what we recorded because it, it you know, you, your the, the passion that you two had. Especially you, Kat, I thought that was just it would be very angry and very kind of, you know, um, you know, sort of just. And just very... a measured, channeled anger, though, Plough. Surely. I, I, you yeah, no, no. I mean <laughs> measures, but no, but you was, you was angry. I, it, it came across to me like hmm. you, you, you was responding in the way that a, a fan of a football club responded to what was going on and and... i'm going to take that as a compliment because it that's really important to me because i I am a fan of a football club yeah you are you know what i mean it doesn't that's all that's the most important thing for me representing fans and and making sure that they're thought of and that they have the best treatment possible is the reason that i do this so thank you for saying that well i I, you know that 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 was um that's that's what i took and 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 someone who's been uh, a big fan of what the trust have done over the uh, over the the years. C- certainly since you and Martin took took uh, the the reins, so to speak. Um, I, I feel like we've got a trust at Tottenham Hotspur that is, you know, probably among the most influential of all the trusts in club football in the UK. So it's it's a wonderful thing that you guys are doing. But well, yeah, we we recorded that podcast and it was it was um, very it was interesting and it was it, I felt very. Um, you know, in line with what a lot of fans were thinking, but as it, what transpired after we recorded that conversation, it didn't kind of feel correct to release it. You guys weren't too happy to 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 let it go for good reason, right? We just felt that the the narrative had massively moved on because when we recorded it, it was at the height of all of the ESL stuff, and then with the, the withdrawals coming later that evening, it just felt like old news. And we, we'd started on a new chapter by that point, which is yeah. what we talk about now. However, I don't have any issue with you releasing it as a Christmas special at some stage. <laughs> <laughs> listeners insist, Plow. You must obviously well, I think I think that, that was the thing, wasn't it? Is that, that you know, we're completely stoned by what we said. I'm sure there'll be people going, oh, why didn't they want to put it out? But it just felt like it, it, was, it was after the event. You know, it was all about something that was no longer happening. Uh, and it, So you could look at it and say that, you know, it, it was so... You you as a podcast and we as a trust are so influential that we don't even have to put anything out in order to influence the way it happens as well. So imagine what we could do <laughs> if we spoke up a bit more often. <laughs> so, it was a great so, episode, though, so... so we, it, was, it was a great conversation. Uh, so, so, you know, we find ourselves in a situation now where... Um, you know, you you put out you, the trust put out a, a pretty strong statement against the. Is it is it correct to say the executive executive members or the executive board members? So it's, it's, these executive are board, yeah. Uh, yeah. These are people just below Daniel Levy, right? No, no, including Daniel Levy. 
So what were you, what 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 was your demand as a as a trust of? of... I'll, I'll let Martin explain in 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 full glory um, how we arrived at that and what the what the ask is. Um, but yeah, I will just say um, some people on on social media seem to think that our statement was knee jerk and very over emotional and really shouty. Um, it actually wasn't. But if the truth be told, it was a speech that we delivered uh, to a members meeting that we repurposed very quickly to get online because basically our meeting had been leaked to uh, the Evening Standard, the BBC and Sky while it was in play and we had to get something out there really quickly. So um, it probably sounded slightly more um, like rally, more of a rally cry than normal. If we're normally very pragmatic and measured in our tone of voice. Um, but I thought it was all the better for it, to be honest, Flav. So, yeah. Um, yeah. So, Martin, do you want to explain how we got to that position and how we took it to our members? Yeah, so we, we had quite a long meeting of the uh, of the trust board, 11 members, uh, and we, we discussed what we were going to do and what we were going to recommend to the meeting. Um, we knew that we had to call a members meeting uh, because um, it, it was quite an important decision. Uh, and so we, we called that meeting as quickly as we could for the, the, the Friday night. Uh, obviously, things were moving fast, so response was, was, uh, was needed. Uh, the reason we put forward the call for the executive board to go was that the, it's the decision makers behind the decision to go uh, and sign up to the European Super League to break away from the rest of English football and to effectively two-finger the rest of the, the Premier League and, and, and the rest of the league as well. Um, that was a decision which I think we've seen uh, was hugely unpopular uh, with fans. Uh, it's a decision which could leads to uh, sanctions being taken against the club, financial sanctions, points deductions, transfer bans, getting kicked out of competitions or whatever. Um, so uh, there needs to be some clear water put between the people that made the decisions and Tottenham Hotspur Football Club uh, if we've got to have any chance of moving on from this. And, and absolutely believe me, these six clubs are not popular with other clubs in the game, with the rest of the game, with the Premier League as an authority, with the FA. Okay, so something's coming down the line. So there has to be consequences for that action. Uh, and we called for the executive board to go, and that executive board includes Daniel Levy as a chairman. The reason that we didn't call for the owners to go, uh, and the reason that we, we put something in a statement about working with the owners to constitute a new board, is because whether you like it or not, owners only go when they decide to sell and when they found a buyer. So owners don't resign. And it would also be wrong for us, and we've never done this. We've always resisted the simple Enoch out calls because it's effectively calling for our club to have nobody running it and nobody owning it. Uh, and the club can't exist unless it's got people running it and owning it. So that isn't in the best interest of the club. So it has to be, and we've always said this, if you want Enoch out, you have to know what comes next. Now, we know that if the board goes, the new board is appointed by the owners, and the owners are Daniel Levy and Joe Lewis. So we can't just have a situation where they just change the faces, they put some new people in, and the same thing happens again. So that's the breakdown of the difference between the, the executive board and the ownership, why we're calling for what we're calling for. And I know there are people out there that are not happy that we're not calling for any to go. Apparently, this is another one of our sellouts, and we're the lapdogs and whatever. Right? We cannot call for there just to be a vacuum at the top of the club. If new owners want to step up and show an interest and they want to talk to any of the fan groups, they want to talk to us or to do anyone, we've always said we'd be prepared to have that conversation. 
So that that's the breakdown of that. I think it's probably important at this stage to to address another criticism which which has been raised, which is that uh, 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 us saying that we refused a meeting with the club in the run up to that members meeting we had last week. So just to be clear on that, and Cat might want to come in on this as well, we were offered a chat about the the the, the Super League decision. Um, we were offered a chat about 24 hours after the non-apology apology from the club came out, which essentially said. We're really sorry you didn't understand why you're wrong about this, which is essentially the nature of that apology from the club, if you, if you can call it that. So we were offered an informal chat. Uh, we said that we, uh, we didn't want that informal chat. If we'd have accepted that, we would have gone into a meeting with some people that we know had been at best talking about something completely different behind our backs to what they've been saying to our face and at worst lying directly to us in all the conversations that we had about the Super League meetings, about the, the, the proposal for the Super League. Um, and almost certainly, because they were saying there's a lot of stuff we can't say because of legal implications, we would have been told that we couldn't report back on the content of that meeting. So if we'd have said, yeah, we had a meeting with a the club, uh, they've explained it all, but we can't tell you what that is. I'm not sure that that would have gone down particularly well, and I'm not sure that would have been us representing our members or and, the wide no, you're fan right. base. Uh, and and we, what, what we did say to the club was that uh, if you want to put a written statement to that members meeting, we're prepared to read that out without prejudice and you can put your case. They refused to do that. They said that they couldn't do that because of the, the legal implications, which again underlined the fact that we wouldn't have been able to report back on any meeting we had them. So, you know, we, we have rarely, if ever, refused an opportunity to meet with a club because we're about dialogue. But there comes a stage when you have to say, because of what's gone before, um, because of what's on offer, is there any point in going into that meeting? And we didn't think there was. So and that we would have only explains the position. Only would have had the Thursday to hold that meeting anyway, because our members' meeting was on the Friday. I personally just felt that we needed a mandate from our membership before we met with the club, because, as Martin said, for the whole seven or eight years that we've been involved with the organisation. We have really prided ourselves on, on that constructive dialogue. We've had to have some hugely difficult conversations with the club, but we've always wanted to be inside the room and building those relationships really, really matters to us. So this is an extremely difficult time for us as well. Um, but I, I definitely wanted, because it was such a departure from our normal position, I personally felt that we absolutely needed a member's mandate to know what position to take in any negotiations with the club. Also, we did feel we'd be a bit complicit. We did feel that they'd probably tell us stuff that we weren't allowed to share. And that's not acceptable. You know, if we're talking about, you know, cloak and dagger and school duggery and talking in corridors, we can't go off and do that ourselves. So that was the reason that we um, rejected the offer of an informal chat. And, you know, we'll take the criticism for that. But I think people who understand how we operate and we have a fairly clear MO over the years that I've been doing this, we, we don't turn down dialogue lightly. We're not the people who were throwing the stones at the window. Please. We're the people who were going in there and, and well, having we, we the conversation. We talked in that statement and we thought very carefully about it uh, and we used the word advisedly. We talked about an irreparable breakdown in a relationship between us and the board. Now, you, you know, we've been on this show enough times over the years, Flav, and we've had this conversation where you said, oh, people say, you know, is there really any point? Do they really listen to you in these meetings? Do you really have any effect? And we've always said, you have to go in and have the dialogue. You have to go in and have the conversation. Now, just on this issue of the Super League, right? And we've reported all of this in our newsletters and we talked about this. You know, the last time we brought it up at a meeting 
they said, you know, their, their general position has been, we're not going to talk about hypotheticals. Uh, you know, that uh, there's lots of very clever people that are looking at this whole issue. Daniel Levy is a fan, which he is. Uh, uh, he knows lots of people who are fans. He knows what the fans think. Well, well it appears that he didn't. But anyway, we, we had all those discussions in the meetings. And then it turns out that while we've been having those discussions, they've been off meeting secretly with all their mates, with JP Morgan, signing contracts and planning for this breakaway league, which would have destroyed the fabric uh, of the English game. Uh, and it would have had a, a much more wide-ranging effect. So then when we turned around to people and said, there's a point in going into these meetings, they would have said, well, there obviously isn't now, is there? Because they haven't been straightforward with you. They haven't had the conversation. So you are actually a bunch of mugs. And that isn't taking it personally. That is looking at it very practically. How can we justify to our members that there is a point going into a meeting with people who are not being straight with us? That's, that's what it comes down to. Can I just just intersect okay. just just for a second? Um, they, they don't have to talk to you. They don't. There is nothing. There's nothing in the um, in the guidelines in the Premier League guidelines. You don't. They don't have you guys as as you know. You you know both. Of you know on a personal level how grateful I am of and and many many people are of the work you do. You go above and beyond what's expected of any supporter. You do. But they don't. Thanks. They don't. <laughs> you're welcome, honestly. Well, but they, you, they kind of do. But they um, don't. They, do they? Premier they, they, League recommendations they are around. They, they can do what. Sorry, sorry, Kat. They can do what they want. They don't have to have you there. So why are they inviting you in? Uh, like you, you know, you you refused the invitation, which is powerful in itself. Um, and I respect that. I do. And I, in, if I was in your situation, I wouldn't have gone in there at all. I would have taken a moment's breath and a step back to actually look at the situation and, and how this lands because it was so soon after the fact. But they don't they don't need you in there. They don't they're not they're not benefiting in any way. So why are they if 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 you know if if you're problematic and you you cause problems for them, why do they have you in the room? Is that is that a fair question? <laughs> well, there are the Premier League recommendation and guidelines that they uh, every Premier League club, uh, through a process of what's called structured dialogue, has to meet with recognised fan groups um, a couple of times a year. So they they would be if they never met with any fan groups, then they would be in breach of the Premier League recommendation and would get a rap on the knuckles. Absolutely. Um, I think in that particular instance, they probably wanted to give us their side of the story and then make it very very difficult for us because we wouldn't have been able to share that side of the story. And it was obviously to try and move us on side because they're not idiots. So they knew where this was going. But the point is that they, that, that they had plenty of opportunity over the two or three years we've been raising this at board to board meetings to give their side of the story. And the offer came 24 hours after the non-apology apology. So it's the point. And I mean, on, on the, on the point about do they have to talk to us, you know, yes, there's the recommendations and yes, they could be a rap on the knuckles, but no, they don't have to talk to us. But I think the events of this week has proved that it might be a good idea to talk yeah. to your fans and listen. They can't be told that they, they can't say that they that they weren't warned about it and they weren't told about it. And if we look back just over the last year or the time of this pandemic, OK, uh, this whole thing about, you know, does a board of directors, do the people owning a football club understand what their fans want? Well, what have we had? We've had the furlough scheme, which most of the fans didn't want, and they had to re reverse it. We've had Project Big Picture, which most of the fans didn't want, and they had to reverse it. 
we've had not showing the games on telly, which most of the fans didn't want, and they had to reverse that. We had the PPV charge for the games that have been shown down the pandemic, which most of the fans didn't want, and they had to reverse that. And now we've got the European Super League, which most of the fans didn't want, and they had to reverse that. So I'd say that just in the past year, there's been a pretty bloody good example of the fact that the board doesn't have a clue what the majority of the fans want, and they're not as in touch with people's opinion as they think they are. So that's the reason why it might be a good idea to sit down and talk to their officially recognised supporters trust and be a bit more straightforward and open with them, as well as other groups. If other fans, we've always said that, you know, remember at the start of 1882, Flav, we facilitated a meeting and you guys went in. We've never yeah. claimed that we've got a monopoly on fan views. What we have said is take notice of your fans as well. So, you know, it's a fair question to ask to say they don't have to talk to us, but I think the last year has been a pretty bloody good example of showing why it's a good idea. That's a good answer. Fair enough. Um, and, Can um, I just address one other thing? Sorry, but, but of it, course. just in terms of sort of what what was uh, uh, you know generally being said about the ESL, that, that in some quarters people are saying that was Tottenham's only chance of catching up with clubs like Man City and Chelsea, which are owned by countries and oligarchs, right? There were six clubs from English football going into the European Super League. They were all going to get the same amount of money. Right, so Manchester City would have got the money that Spurs were getting, so it wasn't some were getting more. Up. Yeah, some of the some five of the twenty clubs that wanted to break away were getting more. So you know that that's how horrible that scheme was. That there was twenty clubs two finger in the rest of the world, and then there were five clubs within there two finger in the other fifteen because they wanted <laughs> even more. They wanted yeah. an even bigger slice of the pie. I mean, what a bunch of snakes! Imagine yeah, so yeah, the no people. ground would have been made up basically. But yeah, so that, there's, there's this myth that's grown up that this was our chance to close the gap, that it wouldn't have closed the gap at all. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure. I, I, I hadn't heard that. I mean, I, I, from from our involvement, it felt like we, if if it was a pit full of snakes, we'd have been an adder or a grass snake in a pit full of cobras. I don't think Spurs would have come out significantly better than anybody else that was involved in that competition. What it would have done would be, you know, uh, you know this sort of term has been brought up and over and over and over again has pulled a ladder up on anybody else in the league which is fundamentally what we avoided and what was fantastic about it um I but just it's wanna... shown that people value that don't they because that people are suspicious and they say no altruism is all very well and idealism is all very well but really this is hard-headed stuff it's it's a business but i think enough fans said you know winning on those terms is that is that going to be right and you know for, the thing that we've been saying right the way through this and when we've come on to, you know, the pod and talked about the Super League and all the rest of it, uh, you know, in, in the plans in general, we had a, a big members meeting with Kev Miles from the Football Supporters Association last year. That, that whole idea of competitive merit, of, of, you know, being able to qualify for something because in some way you kind of deserved it, you made it there because of what you did on the pitch, despite all the distortions of it, is something that people really value. And I think what the last week or so has shown is that that people aren't letting go of that that easily. For all of the no, distortions in modern football, that's what makes it magic for us. You know, maybe <laughs> we could win. Maybe we could get there this but what, year. Yeah. You know? what, what's the greatest? The greatest Premier League title in since its inception in 1992 was Leicester winning it. That was the greatest one. Maybe but uh, Blackburn and they were. Yeah. You know, they, they they piled tons of money into into that team and and you know they deserved it yeah, on that yeah. day but Leicester did 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 something that we could never imagine yeah and, and it's painful for us to talk about that isn't it because of the circumstances of it but that's where I think we said it on on the you know the podcast that might yet be the Christmas special that that, that the, the attitude 
behind this Super League was, was Agnelli, the chairman of Juventus, who in the year after Leicester won the, the English Premier League uh, and qualified uh, in that spot for the Champions League, he stood up at a conference and he said, it is an insult, an insult to me and the members of my family that have put so much into Juventus Football Club that we are forced to play a club like Leicester City in this competition. Wow. Like, that's their attitude. Yeah. And, you know, that, that was such a wonderful thing. What happened, the reaction to the Super League and the fact that Agnelli, who, who seemed to be behind Perez, the figurehead behind this movement, hmm. was almost for, you know, forced to, to resign. I know he didn't in the end. And it was just sort of, you know, mis, misinformation that came through the news wires that he hadn't resigned. But it would have been a, a wonderful poetic justice if he was, you know, forced to to be removed from his job. I just want to go back to your uh, the, the trust, you know, demand that there are s- certain members of the upper echelons of, of, of Tottenham to, to move like, uh, or to be removed. You know, the, the sanction, the proposed sanctions to all the other clubs, every other English club that's involved in this has had a demand or a suggestion that, that certain elements of the board should be removed. Only Tottenham hasn't. Have you got any comment on that? Do you know what I'm talking about? Well, no, we are we are asking for the board to go. No, I know you are. It's, this is outside of um, this is outside of uh, the trust, and that there's that there are be, there's been suggestions that uh, there there are board members from all, each one of the top six clubs, apart from Tottenham, to have a people removed based on their their involvement in the Super League. Uh, well, I think I was, you know, Ed Woodward's resigned at Manchester United, hasn't he? Uh, I think at Liverpool they're talking about, you know, uh, possibly looking at changes, but I don't think anybody has resigned there. Nobody's resigned at City. Uh, okay, all right. Think, let, you know, let me uh, let me ask you another Kronke question. Cronkie at then. Arsenal saying he's going to stay put. So. Yeah. So all, all of the other football clubs seem to be much more accepting of their um, their wrongdoing in this situation. Maybe. Sorry, I see what you're getting at now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. so yeah. Tottenham seemed like the 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 statement they put out was not satisfactory. It wasn't. It was completely unacceptable, given what had happened and how other clubs have reacted. Uh, Liverpool are uh, and the owners there are, are, are entering a fans forum in the next week, which God knows what's going to go on there. I'm sure it would be horrible for yeah. the owners. Spurs have done nothing. They've done. Nothing. They've not acknowledged their error at all. They've just said, "No, we've made the point. We've said that a bit of contrition, a bit of you know, saying we're sorry you didn't think we were right, isn't an apology." (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Sorry if I offended you. Chelsea made an apology to their fans, and the fans said that didn't wash. Okay, and it might well be that our board says, and knowing them as I do, I think they're probably saying that. Well, there's no point in us apologising because nobody will believe it anyway. But it's like, well, it's nice if you kind of make the effort sometimes, isn't it? Uh, Liverpool have had to do a different thing just because of the nature of their, you know, they've bought into that whole kind of community and solidarity thing, haven't they, as well? Which is, I don't think, you know, I don't think I've ever heard Daniel talk about solidarity in a meeting, but I might be doing him a disservice. We have raised it with the club. So obviously members have contacted us and said that they're very disappointed in the the non-apology apology. So that has, that was raised with the club. So they are, they are more than aware um, did you discuss it on a recent podcast, Flav? Probably. Yeah, Probably. I think that might have been um, sent as an audio file. 
Anyway. I don't think that would... Well, the stuff we talk about on Inviting Cock, I don't think that goes through. Uh, <laughs> I think you'd just be surprised you about talk... who listens to your podcast. Just a section uh, about where you talked about the apology and, and why it wasn't an apology and, and that kind of stuff. Right, um, fair enough, yeah. So that, that was a brilliant exposition of what the feeling is, I think, as well. <laughs> they obviously haven't rewritten or published anything, so make of that what you will. I, I think the general view within the club is that they were apologetic. They were. Uh, what, there was no. There was no apology. There was no. no. And, and 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 you know what? Based on what what's happened previously, based on what I've um, we've all sort of lived through under Enoch, and and, and when I say live through, I'm not. This is. It sounds like a middle class guy moaning about the fact that taxes are too high. Do you know what I mean? Like we, what we've lived through in the last twenty years under Enoch has been seismic improvement, in my opinion. I'm not. I don't have an issue with Daniel Levy. I don't have an issue with, with, with Enoch. I have no. I, I feel like largely there there've been a, a positive influence on on my you know, supporting of this football club. I'm grateful for, ha- for 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 us to be in a situation now where we could even consider to be, like, I don't think it's mad if, if I said to you, Cat or Martin, that we could challenge for the league in the next five years. I don't, it, I don't think either of you would say that's madness. I think that's an acceptable thing. <laughs> I think right. looking at recent performances, it probably is quite mad, Flav. Uh, yeah, fairness, no, but, I, I appreciate that. But if you look <laughs> at the, the statement, uh, the, the standard of the football club right now, we could, we could be in a situation within the next five years to challenge for the league again. As I grew up from the late eighties, nineties, early two thousands, that was uh, that was beyond. Actually, late eighties is probably the wrong era because I was so young there but we did do well in 87 but you know, you know what I'm saying is, is that we oh, are in a situation yeah. where we can transcend what we know Tottenham Hotspur to be but the fact is right now the things that Daniel Levy has done how dismissive he seems to have been in my persp- in my opinion and I don't know a great deal about the stuff around the Super League added to the fact that we've always already had to deal with Stratford Without them supporting us in the Y word debate, there's been multiple, multiple opportun- uh, um, instances. Sorry, outside of what happens on the pitch, which you can directly control by by funding it, but his p- p- political decisions have, have, have disassociated yeah. myself from yeah. being spurred. I think I think but, I think the balance has been tipped in the last in the in the last week or so, really, hasn't it? I mean, you you you're right, Flav, to say that. That, that, that there's been huge improvements and I don't think, and again, it's something we've been criticised for and we've all been involved in arguments about this, that uh, you know, as a business, the club has been run really, really well. Uh, we have got this fantastic new stadium uh, and, and Spurs have moved on a long way since, you know, the, the sort of the, the, the kind of nowhere days really in the 90s under Alan Sugar as well. Uh, and in a way, that's the great pity because I think I've always got the impression that, that Daniel is is... is He's obviously a very dedicated, sharp businessman as well, but but he's wanted a legacy, and and you know rightly so if you put that amount of effort in. Uh, but I think it's the, the accumulation of a few of the things that you mentioned, then Flav, that that stuff has now built up, and I'm not sure there's a way back for him uh, as somebody who is trusted as the figurehead of the club, uh, who who you know is is trusted, and that the way this regime this regime operates can be trusted necessarily meetings or, or to represent the best interests of the club 
with the other people it needs to do that, like its colleagues in the Premier League as well. Um, I, I think that you know that there's there's a real issue there now, and I think that it does then start affecting. And I think the tipping point for loads of people is where it does start affecting what goes on on the pitch. And we always said, you know, it's great, it's a good business, but you don't go to watch the balance book; you go to watch the football. I, I would probably say now, and I wouldn't have said two years ago, you were mad to think we could challenge for the league. But if you look at the cumulative effects of not backing Pochettino, because let's face it, right, Pochettino did go off the boil towards the end, but why did he go off the boil? I think it's now pretty clear to a lot of people, even those who said that he should have gone at the end and were pleased that, that Jose Mourinho came in. Uh, he wasn't properly backed. He could see that it wasn't really being taken on. You then had the appointment of Mourinho, which has proved to be absolutely disastrous. Right, The DNA of this club has been really, really changed. Uh, we, we've had, you know, we, we've had a, a good squad of players who are not performing as well as they could and should do under a really good coach. The confidence has gone. The the atmosphere within the club is is fractious. Uh, there isn't a winning mentality there. There isn't a focus there. So all of those things, uh, you know, you, you have to take responsibility for the failures as well as as the successes. And nothing's ever totally black or white or 100% or nothing, and so you look at the balance. But if you look at the balance of all those things, personally, I am quite worried about the future of this football club now, about where he can go, about how he can challenge, because of what's happened over the last few years and because of the, of the, of the state of conflict there is within the club at the moment. That, that's a real issue. Kat, what, 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 do, you, what, do, what do you think, uh, someone who's spent more time with Daniel Levy than any other... Tottenham Hotspur fan out there, apart from Martin, has spent with him. What, 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 what do you think he made of all of this? We haven't been on holiday together. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not suggesting that. I'm just, yeah. I'm just. You, you know him as much as any Spurs fan can, better than anyone, right? So, what, yeah, Kat, what, I mean, what did you, how do you think he took this? How do you think he reacted to it? Was he pissed off? Was it? What do you think he made of it? All? I don't think he would have been. I don't think he'd have been pissed off. I think like anybody who's a successful businessman, which he undoubtedly is, you, you have to have total confidence and, and courage in your convictions. I think I think you, you're always convinced that you're right. Uh, do you know what I mean? You don't get to be that powerful and that successful unless you can make decisions, you can own your decisions and, and you can more more often than not make the right call. I think when we spoke to him about the Super League, uh, in our meeting in December, he was quite bullish about the fact that he got this. I've got this, guys, more or less, which was, you know, I'm a fan. I know how fans think. I've got mates who are fans. I know what they think. There are some very clever people looking at everything and we don't need to talk to anyone else. That was a mistake. You absolutely do need to talk to other people because Daniel is a fan and he is super smart and he is super intelligent. And I'm sure that the offer on the table looked like a great deal in inverted commas, in the best interests of the club. But clearly it wasn't. And sometimes you need the outside perspective. So I think that he would have been shocked, genuinely shocked at the magnitude of opposition that was mobilised so quickly across the entire country. That is quite something to, to have on your shoulders. And, and I would, would imagine he's probably still quite shocked about that because he would never have stopped to consider that this perhaps wasn't the right decision for Tottenham Hotspur Football Club. And to be honest, Flav, we've got fans who are contacting us saying it was the right decision for Tottenham Hotspur Football yeah. Club. Well, saying, we, we put out a poll asking if 
people want the Super League, wanted Tottenham Hotspur to be a part of the Super League. And one in ten said they did. And I know that's yeah, yeah, the, that's yeah. the minority, but it's not yeah. it's not a insignificant minority when you think about the fans we've got across. If that, that there was like two thousand, maybe three thousand people who clicked on that poll, that's yeah. that's a significant yeah, yeah. minority. That's some that's a that's a, 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 a sizable amount of our fan base that needs to be listened to. Absolutely, but, we, we've 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 always acknowledged that uh, you're never going to get something that 100 percent of people agree with the case, and that's why we've tried for quite a lot of the last two years to put a lot of stuff on our website, in our newsletters, through social media assets, through little kind of mini campaigns to try and say to people, this is the implications of what's being talked about. Right? If you're going to take a, a stance on this, we want you to take as an informed decision as possible. But when it comes to it. If you're in any kind of membership organization, any organization that claims to represent people, you have to take a decision on things. Now, we, we, we could have decided, and this happened in a previous incarnation of the trust, when the move to Stratford first came on the cards, the trust's official position in those days was some fans are in favor of it and some fans are against it, so we can't take a position. Now, that's not why me and Kat or any of the other board members or got involved to not make a decision on something that important, okay? We're not going to make a decision that's just the one that we think. We're going to try and consult as widely as possible. We're going to try and make sure that over a period of time we can gauge fan opinion. And we think we're reasonably good judges of that. And some people might think that sounds a bit arrogant, but that's the chance that we take as well. We listen to people, whether it's going to matches, going on forums, looking at feedback from pods like this, you know, just generally talking to people as well. So we think we've got a fairly good idea. Uh, of what people are thinking uh, and we put that position forward and we ask for support for that position now of course there are going to be some people out there that say we think you're completely wrong uh, and that's a perfectly valid point of view and as long as they don't question our motives for why we've taken our position then they're free to have that but you're going to have a disagreement sometimes and that's it so we, we know that that opinion is out there um, I, I think that I think part of the problem with, with, and we've noticed this a lot over the years with, with, with the board, the relationships have been up and down. And of course, you build those personal connections with people that you're in meetings um, uh, with. Although we, we probably have more contact with people further down the scale in the club than we do with, with the executive board. But we have got that line into them and we can have those, uh, we, we can have those conversations. And I think the problem is sometimes that it's not as much that they won't listen it's almost that they can't listen. That they, they don't seem to kind of, you know, there's been the observation that, that, that part of the problem with dealing with Spurs at the top level is that they try and be too clever by half. Uh, and, and I think there is that. There's always a slightly better idea that's more leading edge than everybody else. Um, and I think I said, there was a bit of an exchange that went on. And I, said, I think I said, sometimes it's all right when you go out to lunch if you just buy a sandwich. You know, sometimes it's all right just to kind of keep it simple. But I think, I think part of the problem it is this this inability to recognise that there may be another point of view, which is which is valid, and I think that's where some of the shock came from. Now the issue with that is that the the the, the story about the American owners, so people like John Henry and Stan Kroenke and the Glazers, was that they genuinely can't understand this idea that you know, listen, guys, I bought a football club, and you're telling me that next year it might not be in this competition because it might get what's this thing you can say relegated. Right. How, how is that even possible that I can buy this thing, but it's not even in the same competition next year? So this is obviously a problem that you've got, uh, and we're here to fix it for you uh, by getting rid of this kind of pesky thing called relegation and competition and jeopardy. And, 
uh, you know, we can but all just kind of keep making money. Martin, sorry, sorry and to cut you. they've got that, haven't they? Go on. Sorry to cut you, but they're not, they're not thinking that. When, when John Henry bought, bought Liverpool, he wasn't thinking that Liverpool could ever get relegated. I understand that you might disagree, disagree with the foundations of the, the English pyramid, the English football pyramid, but he's not actually... You know, he knows he that, is that thinking Liverpool... that Liverpool might not qualify for the Champions League, and that has yeah. happened in the past. It was maximum so, so, money so, and minimum yeah. risk, wasn't so it, guys? Equally, yeah. It's just like, how can that happen? How can a club like Liverpool not be in the Champions League? And the answer is, if they don't play well enough, right? That, that's what the game is as well. But for them, it's an issue. But but Daniel comes from that that the culture of the game. He is a supporter. His family can are I, supporters. Can so I ask what, a question why about would they not him? Understand that. Can I ask a question? Uh, Kat, I want you you to answer this. Um, do you think that Daniel Levy is more closely aligned with the, the you know, the, 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 the... Is Daniel Levy more closely aligned with his ability to earn money for the shareholders and Enoch and his own stake in the club? Or is he more aligned to Tottenham Hotspur as a football club succeeding, does he feel like he can have both? What, 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 what's your? What do you well, think? I think the the popular narrative would be the former, wouldn't it? Of course. He's, he's, of but what course, do you think about uh, him? Absolutely, of course. I, I think that that ultimately would be his priority. Yes, but I don't think that the two need to be mutually exclusive. I think that there can be a a situation whereby, I mean, if if you have success on the pitch, then you're you're going to generate more success off it as well, aren't you? You're going to generate more money. So that there is a that there can be a symbiotic relationship there. Um, I think naturally he's a businessman, but I don't doubt his passion for football. But you have a skill of thought that would say that's where the problems have started. That Daniel should should be kept on the business side and removed from the football side altogether because we've had one trophy in twenty years and you know, a succession of failed managerial appointments. And and as we said, made the worst call in not backing the most successful manager in a generation, which was Maurizio Pochettino. Okay, so, we've, got some, uh, we've got some questions that I'm sure you've, you guys have had a, an eye on. I won't ask them all because there's sort of okay. 32 and we'll be here all night. <laughs> uh, not that no, they're not all valid, to be fair. Um, <laughs> it's one of them going to be about wrapping animals in sellotape, which is one of the first questions you ever asked me on this pod. And I know we've had mention of grass snakes and different kind of snakes earlier. What? What? what I'm a bit worried just, about the sellotape. Just out of curiosity, uh, like what? What is the? Well, like, what, I can't what? remember what I said. I think I might have like been completely like non sort of like you know what what's this question mean at the time? Yeah, and then I said something like an elephant for some reason. That's madness. Like, an elephant yeah, yeah. is madness. A pug. Yeah, well, no, I just I, I, I just kind of had this vision of trying to wrap an elephant up in cellotape. I, I challenge well, I any man. To... Flow now. <laughs> no, no, it's fine. <laughs> I've tra- I challenge any man to um, or or woman for that fact uh, to sellotape a animal bigger than a pug to a lamppost is impossible. <laughs> Anyway, let's let's actually go on to more important measures. Um, uh, Tangy and Dumbley's Wooby. I don't know what that means. Wooby. Uh, Wooby. I imagine. I just, I just think he's Dick. That's what I think. Anyway. Oh, uh, what, sorry. I, it might not be that. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. But that's just where my brain goes. So what what are what are the chances of getting a fifty plus one ownership model, and how would that take place? And he says, "Thank you for everything you've done." Oh well, um, I like him, and he's what did he call it? A, 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 a let's just move on. From that. Well, he's he's actual his actual name on Twitter is Keith Wickle. Uh, he's, been, he's he's been sending questions into the Keith party for, for a long, long Hi, time. Hi, Keith Wickle. 
Um, um, yeah, I but think, uh, can we can we get a fifty plus one style thing in in England? Like, what what would it so take? In your opinion? Um, the, the government have finally started uh, their much-awaited uh, fan-led review into football, uh, which has been chaired um, by Tracy Kretsch. He was a Spurs fan. Hello, Tracy, if you're listening. Um, and part of the terms of reference... <laughs> Tracy Crouch is not going to be listening to the fighting club. Mate, Come on. seriously. She's, we'll she's, like, uh, I don't have any political agenda here, but she's a Conservative. There's no Tories listening also to also a Spurs fight. fan. I know, but there's, there's... Flav, you, right. you know that so, I don't So twice really you're not believing me on this you, pod. Uh, yeah, you, you would be surprised at who listens to this pod, mate. Okay. Twice you're not believing me. Right. Well, so, uh, uh, no, part... I, do, I do believe you. I just, I, I find it uh, <laughs> awful, very awkward. Tracy Crouch, of... if you're up there, big out. <laughs> As part of the terms of reference of Tracy's review, uh, they will be looking at uh, exploring all ownership models uh, and those that are in place overseas. So that will encompass the 50 plus one uh, model. So that will be looked at as a potential uh, solution over here. Um, there's also a petition uh, that is currently going around um, to petition Parliament to discuss the 50 plus one ownership model. It needs 100,000 signatures and it was on mid 70 odd thousand when I last checked. But there's every chance that we'll get there. So that is a hot topic. I think there's a little bit of a confusion around what 50 plus one actually means. Because uh, it's not necessarily about ownership, it's about you, voting rights. Yeah, what do you understand it to mean? I mean, Martin can probably explain a bit more succinctly than I can, but I understand it to mean it's around voting rights as opposed to around necessarily ownership. There's a lot of stuff around parent companies and ownership that way, and then the members club that actually runs a football club over in Germany. Okay, yeah, but, that specific model. But, but it, it, you know, it was clear very early that Bayern Munich and Dortmund were never going to be a part of this conversation. It felt like the 50 plus one was their, their sort of get out. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Sure. Absolutely. Uh, Martin, can you, can you explain succinctly? I can't <laughs> explain anything succinctly. For <laughs> I, I, I know, I've known you many years. I know that. Yeah. But, but, it's not going to happen. Can you... Can you can, but can can you explain fifty plus one in a way that people can understand? Because I I kind of understand it, but recently I, I described it and I I butchered it. So can you? Yeah, I'll probably better? do it as well. So it, it, there's kind of two different models in Germany. One one is clubs like St. Pauli, which are completely owned by their members, uh, and uh, to do anything you need fifty percent plus one of the people who own the club, which is the members, to decide that that's what they're going to do or what they're not going to do. Clubs like Bayern Munich and uh, Dortmund are um, owned by uh, a parent company, which is the business, which is the uh, attractive thing for the investor, or the more attractive thing, because clubs like St. Pauli also have investors. Um, but they uh, have a, uh, there is a, a membership section, um, which is where the 50% plus one comes in. And the membership has to agree to anything that the, the the club and the business overall does so the owners can't decide we're going to do this as a business without getting the approval of the people who are members of the club uh, and one of the reasons that leipzig are really disliked in germany is because they've got around that system and you know if people want to get around things they always will so you have to get people to write ideas in because what they've done is that they've got that model where it's owned by red bull and only the members of, of Leipzig Football Club 
can vote on things, but the only way you can be a member is if you're in a small select group of people who work yeah, for Redbull. Their membership <laughs> so base is very small, isn't it? That's how yeah. they But then you it. also have you have Wolfsburg and Leverkusen, don't you, who were Volkswagens and Yeah, and yeah. they buyers. were basically the works team, yeah. Yes. They were the factory team as well. Uh, and that's So they have a slightly different that. structure. But with all of that, the, the <laughs> members are there. And what it recognises, and it's again back to the question about Daniel and, and the, the kind of the business and the football, is that there, there shouldn't be that separation because, you know, football clubs are successful businesses like no other because they are football clubs. They're not just, they're not a chain of shops. They're not a software company. They're football clubs. Uh, and with all of the stuff that goes with it about community and identity and competition and jeopardy and everything else. Um, and that needs to be recognised. And I, I think, you know, that the, the clubs that are the successful businesses also happen to have won quite a few things uh, and Spurs unfortunately haven't won things for quite a long time so I think it's fairly safe to say that the balance hasn't really gone got right uh, and so you might if you were reading the room properly think do I need to rethink my approach a little bit here yeah fair enough I've got a great question here from MXTHFC and they uh, and, <clears throat> and he asked I think Martin, you'd be best place for this because um, I think you might have some stories here. But have, have you ever Don't experienced? Don't get me going on stories, mate. Well, yeah, I, there's Not a couple of things we, we've spoken about previously on the podcast and outside. But um, have you ever experienced anything in the past before the ESL issue, where they've had Le- Levy or another board member blatantly lie to them or mislead <laughs> them about something significant at the club? Um. You, I, I just want to point you towards the um, left on the shelf conversation because well, I, I, I always I, find that really fascinating. I, I wasn't, uh, I, I was a kind of supporter at the time and agreed with what they were doing, but I wasn't really involved in, in left on the shelf. There's actually a fantastic person who I still sit with at Spurs called Annalisa Jesperson, uh, who, who was one of the organisers of left on the shelf. And there's also a guy called Rick Mayston, who what used was to it? be very connected with the... Um, old sports club left on the shelf was a campaign that was formed to oppose the building of executive boxes on the shelf terrace by Irving Scholar when he was the Spurs chairman in the late 1980s and again I mean hopefully most people know but people that don't the shelf was the middle section of the old east stand it was our kind of home end if you like Uh, we always loved it because it was the only end that was down the side of a pitch it was the best view in English football and it had the best fans in English football uh, and it was it was it was our place, uh, and it was in the middle of of the eighties and all the kind of you know, Thatcherism and greed is good or whatever, and it seemed to bring a lot of stuff together that that Spurs were going to put not only destroy that terrace, but put executive boxes on that terrace. Uh, so you know, move the yoiks out and get the people with the money in. So on every level, it, it really wasn't popular. And I think at the last game of the season they proposed it, there was a sit-in of about three or 4,000 fans on the shelf uh, who had a coffin and RIP Tottenham, RIP fan culture, whatever. Um, quite a big campaign against that. Uh, and there was a lot of, you know, evasion and, and kind of jiggery-pokery around explanations and planning permissions. And it's certainly other. I think Scholar tried to say that, that, you know, the shelf was a was a dangerous area because the police always had to go in there. and It was violent. And I think the police then said, well, not that we're aware of, mate. Uh, any more than any other ground, to be honest. But there you go. So there was lots of um, lots of smoke and mirrors around that. But that's what Left on the Shelf was all about. Uh, but I, I think you know the, the the ESL 
has been a particularly big one because certainly, you know, if we are saying in a meeting, we are pretty sure the fans are not going to go for this uh, and we're being told, well, okay, we're not going to discuss hypotheticals, but all right, we've, we've borne that in mind. And then something comes up which shows that something more than hypothetically has been discussed uh, and something's been signed up to which goes expressly against everything we've said the fans wouldn't go for. Uh, you do have to ask yourself about how straightforward that conversation was. Now, just jumping quickly, um, I, I think I would say misleading rather than lying. Um, a lot of the conversations that we have with the club, they're very careful not to commit fully to anything. Um, and there's always another angle that you haven't thought of that's just around the corner. I think the, the example that I'm going to use was season ticket pricing when we moved back into the new stadium. Because for many, well, at least two years before that, we've been talking to them about a stretch pricing model and what that meant to us and how that should affect at the bottom end the access and entry price for fans to be able to get in to see their team. And the whole idea of a stretch pricing model is obviously that the premiums and corporates at the top pay a lot. And then you stretch that pricing throughout all your other price points so that your bottom point of entry is fully accessible for the people who don't earn a fortune and the people who, you know, don't have that much disposable income, the people who are still the lifeblood of the game, by the way. Um, their interpretation of stretch pricing was not what we were led to believe it was going to be. So uh, we were in <coughs> shafted, basically, over the ticket pricing. So uh, that's an example. It wasn't a downright lie, but it was a variation of a truth. Does that make okay. sense? All right. I think uh, the I... ticket pricing thing, sorry, Sorry, is, is quite on. an interesting example because I've seen a bit this morning of like, you know, people are now calling for the board to resign. Where were they 15 years ago when I was doing that? Well, we could almost say when we were objecting to the pricing policy for the new stadium, where it was obviously, you know, I saw physical fights in the stands between Spurs fans, people who were going to kind of, you know, put banners up about the pricing and they were being, you know, clocked. By, by, by other Spurs fans because they said you put in a team off as well. So we had a choice here that we could either sit around and cry us on social media about why didn't everybody accept what we were saying all those years ago and, and uh, oppose the pricing. Or we could go, OK, that didn't happen. We need to get on with it as well. So this whole kind of why didn't you do this 10 years ago, yeah, 15 I mean, years I, ago, whatever, it's just Martin, absolutely pointless. Martin and I have spoken about the ticket price and stuff quite a lot and I think it's fair to say we felt utterly unsupported by the vast majority of the fan base. Yeah. So, there you go. Now, uh, apparently, everybody was against it, so there you go. They just kind of <laughs> forgot to speak up at the time. But, you know, that's what happens. And sometimes, you know, enough people didn't care enough about it. So we have to accept that and we have to move on. Just looking through cared about this. some of the... Um the the uh, questions what next what happens next guys what happens next what 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 can you anticipate because you you must have burnt some bridges uh in the last week with the club do you anticipate them asking you back if we didn't they start do... the fire as bruce springsteen is it we didn't start the fire um, um <laughs> but 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 there, there is there is a fire and um and rightly so sometimes you have to Ignite the flames to burn down the... I don't know where I'm going with that, but burn down the... Well, it, 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 let's chuck the question back. Maybe it's a poll. Maybe it's something that you could get some people on the pod. Maybe it's something that you guys can talk about when you do the next pod. But but what what the fans think uh, would be the thing that we built the bridges? Yeah, what, but no, what, but no, what, no, if, no. We, if we said, 
okay, we're going to go and have a meeting and we're going to sit down and have a chat. What what is it that people? What basis would people want us to do that on? What yeah, is it that what, people would like to be discussed? Yeah, but you you uh, no no I get that, and we can we can get to those points like quickly and and relatively easily. But what you got to get in the room with them again, like yeah no exactly. Yeah. How difficult is that going to be? It's going to be really it's difficult, Blair. But it's going to be difficult because you know obviously, as I said at the beginning, we we built up the trust on dialogue. So that, that makes things very difficult. But right now, any conversation with them, without them acknowledging that they made a, mis- a massive mistake and without some form of public apologies is really tough. You know, the, the, the whole parameters of our relationship have now changed. You know, we, we remain committed to our members' vote last Friday, which was calling for the resignation of the executive board and for the owners to work with us to construct a new board that is more reflective of the diversity of the fan base that better better reflects us, that has direct fan representation on it, and that puts football and fans at its heart. And we remain committed to that. And we very much hope that we'll be able to get to a situation where we can have some form of dialogue around what those changes could be. And in order to have make those changes or make those points, we are going to have to have some form of dialogue. So, you know, there's no point throwing stones at the window. We, we are going to need to go in and have a conversation. Um, it's just about establishing the parameters of that conversation. I wouldn't feel comfortable going in and having a regular meeting with them. You know, this needs to be fully, fully transparent. And there's one there's one issue on the table, as far as I'm concerned, which is how they make good the mess that they have brought on the humiliation and the potential sanctions and, and, and reputational damage they've brought to our club. And also how are they going to make that right? Make, yeah, and, and the way to make that right, because the game has had the chance and the club has had the chance to reform itself, is by having a structured fan representation so that there are certain decisions that the football club cannot take without the fans approving. We don't want to run the club. We're not talking about overall fan power, fans choosing the manager and the players or whatever. But there's got to be decisions like what league you play in or where your ground is or what the name of your team is or what your shirt colour is that, that are subject to the approval of the fans because that's what makes football a different business. And, and that isn't just something that we're saying. You know, that is being actively looked at by the government review. Now, I'm as cynical as an ex-person about what can be delivered. But in the end, protest only goes so far. Uh, it is legislative, legislative change that gets things done. And, and I, I firmly believe that that legislative change is coming, especially, if you like, with a populist government that knows that there are a lot, there are millions of football fans out there who are voters and people want to see some change. So I think we've got the best chance that we've ever got. I think we're lucky that, you know, Tracy Crouch is somebody who gets football. Joe Stevens, the shadow sports minister, uh, and Alison McGovern on the shadow team are also football fans who get football. All of those people are pushing in the same direction. And even now, some of the football authorities are saying, look, we've got to do this because they're seeing the kind of individual investors that threat that control clubs threatening the fabric of the game. So I think this is the best chance ever. You know, I hesitate to say change is coming, but this is the best chance we've ever had for change. Okay. Thank you. Martin Cat from the trust. Thank you for your work. Get involved in the trust. If you want to make any kind of difference, then that's the way to do it. 52,000 fans, uh, Tottenham Hotspur fans are involved and um, genuinely if you've got any issues with how the trust is run then get involved change from within don't just fucking tweet and we've got plenty of work for you to do 
Indeed, <laughs> indeed. <laughs> thank you, guys. Thank you, Slav. Thanks um, a lot. No, honestly, thank you. I know you guys. Um, you know, you you do. You know, give up so much of your time for the uh, you know the betterment of Tottenham Hotspur fans. But thank you for coming on the pod continuously for the years. Us. Much appreciated. No, thank you for having us. We always appreciate it. Yeah, Take always care. a pleasure. Take care. It's the fighting. It's the fighting. Clock. It's the fighting. It's the fighting. Clock. A camel Sports Social Podcast Network. 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 Geico asks, how would you love a chance to save some money on insurance? Of course you would. And when it comes to great rates on insurance, GEICO can help. Like with insurance for your car, truck, motorcycle, boat, and RV. Even help with homeowners' or renters' coverage. Plus, add an easy-to-use mobile app, available 24-hour roadside assistance, and more, and GEICO is an easy choice. Switch today and see all the ways you could save. It's easy. Simply go to GEICO.com or contact your local agent today. Sports Social Podcast Network. Geico asks, how would you love a chance to save some money on insurance? Of course you would. And when it comes to great rates on insurance, Geico can help. Like with insurance for your car, truck, motorcycle, boat, and RV. Even help with homeowners' or renters' coverage. Plus, add an easy-to-use mobile app, available 24-hour roadside assistance, and more, and Geico is an easy choice. Switch today and see all the ways you could save. It's easy. Simply go to Geico.com or contact your local agent today. Sports Social Podcast Network. Sports Social Podcast Network. Sports Social Podcast Network. Sports Social Podcast Network.